evening. At least we're that's the direction that we're that we're going in. And we will eventually get there. I believe it's Philippians chapter four. Yeah, it was the mercy of God, <clears throat> Suzanne, that I did not sing to you. Philippians chapter three. My wife always gives me a hard time about the way I sing happy birthday. She said, I sing it so slow, it's like a funeral dirge. <laughs> She's always trying to get me to pick it up. Happy birthday to you. And uh, she always gives me a hard time about that, and she's right. So anyway, praise God. So I had mercy on you, and I didn't do it. Philippians chapter 3, and uh, we'll open up in prayer this evening. Father, I just thank you for this time together with other folks. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you reveal your son in a rich and special way tonight. Spirit of God, we, we honor you and recognize you as the teacher. Thank you, Lord, that you flow through the gift that you've given me and uh, help point us all to Jesus, Lord. Point us to Jesus in the scriptures. Help us to get established in righteousness. And uh, Lord, we just thank you. Let the good news of the gospel be preached tonight. And uh, let it be the power of God unto salvation in every area of our life, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for that. I, I mean, that's not closed. So if you're going to let him out, you're going to have to let him completely out. The dog just came out, so praise God. <laughs> yeah, if you can just open that gate, then that way he'll at least have the option of going out. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. It's not a big deal. It's fine. So, cool. Awesome. Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. So what we're going to talk about tonight is, uh, you know, a part of the the most exciting a part, one of the most exciting things about being a child of God is actually, you know, having a relationship with God and um, <clears throat> knowing Him, you know, um, you know, experiencing His presence, uh, hearing His voice, and, um, you know, just allowing Him to lead us and guide us and navigate us through this life. And so <clears throat> relationship is, you know, it's one of the sweetest aspects of being a believer, um, you know, and legalism tends to... Um, stifle relationship and, and turns what should be this beautiful relationship with God into something that is a performance. And so, you know, we're not, we're not here to, to perform for God. Um, we're, we're not here to earn his love or earn his blessings or, or any of those things. And we're also not here to compete against each other. And, uh, you know, where there's an absence of grace and where there's an absence of the gospel being preached, there. There, there comes an element of performance, and uh, there comes an element of competition, you know. And I don't know about you guys, but <clears throat> it can be so draining um, to be in environments where you, you know, you just feel like you're competing, you know, with other Christians to try to, you know, prove who's the most right with God or who's the most spiritual or who's the most blessed or who has the most faith. And I definitely have spent plenty of time in those types of environments, and um, it's, not, it's not fun. In fact, it's, it's quite draining. And, um, and one of the things that I'm thankful about, uh, about getting my heart established in grace, you know, is, uh, you know what, I think the dog's going to cry the whole time. So give me one second, I'll be right back. Those types of environments um, is really taxing 
and um, because you're not really you're not really actually enjoying <clears throat> fellowship you know you're you're more in a state of competing with each other and uh, man it's just you know it's just such a um, draining thing you know fellowship should be something uh, that um, and you know edifies you encourages you strengthens you and even sharpens you fellowship is one of the you know sweetest aspects of just being a believer not only with God but with each other but legalism um, what it does is <clears throat> it causes us to you know once again perform for God and um, that in turn turns our relationships into you know performance driven relationships you know in life itself there's already enough performance in life you know there's always you know we get a uh, you know, and, and, and performance itself isn't bad. You know, my son's currently trying out for the basketball team. And so they're going to pick the players that are the best, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, you know, and in life, you know, you interview and you work hard and, you know, you look to make good grades in school and, and all of these things. Those things are not bad, but we don't need any element of performance in our relationships. We need to be able to draw strength from each other and draw strength from the Lord. <clears throat> and so legalism, it does that. It produces an environment of competition. And so we don't want that. Uh, we want to enjoy a relationship with God and to allow it to be life-giving. And so one of the ways that that, that really, really happens is we, um, we get established in the righteousness, which is of faith. You know, the primary difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, under the Old Covenant, we earn righteousness, you know, with our behavior. And when we failed, there was an animal sacrifice. Um, under the new covenant, you don't, you don't earn right standing with God through your behavior. Right standing is given to you as a gift through Jesus. And so that's one of the primary differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. Um, Jesus has now become our righteousness. Your righteousness isn't an action. Your righteousness isn't a behavior. Your righteousness is now a person. And so Jesus has become your righteousness. So Jesus could take somebody like myself drug addict, alcoholic, atheist, awful person, and in the moment that I called upon the name of the Lord and I received him as Savior, I became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so um, that was a reality. I became born again in my spirit. Now, I still looked the same physically, had the same body. Um, I was still Caucasian, you know, I was still 6'2", um, but I, um, there was a change in my spirit. Now, my mind was also still the same. And, uh, and, that's, and that's the importance of Scripture. That's the importance of coming to church. It's the importance of hearing the preached Word, allowing the Word to wash your mind and to uh, renew your mind. The Bible says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the Word of God comes to show us and give us a clear picture about who God is and also who we are in Him. <clears throat> and so as that began to happen, um, I start to get established in this righteousness that's given to us as a gift you know right righteousness or right standing with God not something that's earned not something that we establish in our own strength you know the person who just got saved you know the person who used to be say someone used to be a drug addict and you know they got saved you know they're just as righteous as someone like Billy Graham who's been you know serving God for years and years and years and so in the kingdom there's not different levels of righteousness or worthiness um, that's a that's a man-made invention. That's not something that was born of God. Um, you receive Jesus as your righteousness. You receive him as a gift. And so, but now what we have to do is we renew our minds to that reality. And the more you get your heart established in righteousness, the more you get your heart established in grace, 
the more it's going to create an environment of relationship uh, where you can actually just enjoy the Lord. Um, and so that's that's what it does. And so I'm going to read you this passage of Scripture. Um, it's in Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> and uh, let me find it here. Philippians chapter 3. And, you know, in, the, in this chapter, you know, Paul, he's laying out and kind of laying out his pedigree that he had according to his conduct in the first portion of the chapter. And so I think I'll, I'll read that and give us a running start into it. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 1, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Uh, for we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Um, and what he's addressing here is when he's talking about the circumcision and the mutilation, He's talking about Judaizers um, in that time who would basically try to get people who were saved by faith in Jesus and bring them back under uh, the law of Moses and, you know, tell them that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved and they had to keep all of these uh, Jewish feasts and festivals in order uh, to be saved. And Paul was constantly battling that in his time period, and we still battle those things today. You know, a good portion of the body of Christ has one foot in the Old Covenant, and one foot in the new covenant, really kind of living in confusion concerning their relationship with God. And so Paul here, he's, he's saying, look, it's not grievous for me to tell you the same thing over and over again so that you can get established in it. And, uh, and what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to preach the gospel to you. You know, and it is the power of God unto salvation. It is not grievous for me to do it because the more you hear it and the more it gets established in you, the more it's going to create um, a, a, a place of relationship with the Lord and then it's also going to allow you to experience his salvation in greater and greater degrees and when I say salvation I'm not talking about just being born again I'm talking about uh, deliverance in your physical body in your mind your emotions um, everything that you have need of is found in Jesus and in his salvation of course that word there um, is soteria and so we're going to preach the gospel just like Paul was doing and so Paul is saying, you know, beware of these guys because they're going to come in and they're going to try to, you know, despise your liberty, spy out your liberty, and bring you back into a place of bondage. And that's something that everybody has to deal with um, as believers. Well-meaning people don't understand the gospel, don't understand the righteousness, which is a faith. And as a result of that, they start trying to get people to establish their own righteousness. It frustrates grace. Um, it actually insults the work of the cross, and it does not allow people to enjoy the love of God, and to ultimately have a relationship with God based on faith in Jesus. And it brings them over into that realm of performance that I was talking about earlier. Performance, performing for God, and then also performing, competing against each other, which is not a true environment of fellowship towards God or towards people. And so, and he goes on to say, he says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more. So he's saying, look, you guys think you can trust in your works? You guys think you can trust in what you do and who you are? When he's talking about confidence in the flesh, he's not talking about confidence in Jesus. He's talking about confidence in your own strength and what you have done. And so he now begins to go through you know, his pedigree of all his accomplishments as a Pharisee. And um, <clears throat> so he goes on and he says, you know, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. This is his, his pedigree. 
uh, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, in that statement, you know, he's laying out all the things that he accomplished in his flesh. And in that statement, when he says blameless uh, in the righteousness of the law, he's not saying that he never broke the law. He's not saying that he never sinned. He's saying that every time that he did sin, he made the appropriate um, sacrifice. You know, he had the turtle dove or the lamb um, or, or whatever it took to cover the sin. And so <clears throat> that's what he's, he's laying out his pedigree. But then in verse 7, he says, what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. So he's saying, you know, I used to trust in these things. I used to trust in my circumcision. I used to trust in my Jewish nationality. I used to trust in my religious organization that I was a Pharisee. Um, I, I, I used to, you know, trust in my ability uh, to keep the law and to make the sacrifices that were necessary when I broke the law. He says, these were all things that I trusted in. Now, today, you know, most of that list, we, you know, you we probably can't relate to that, most of us, but we may have a different list that we would add in. We would say, well, you know, here's here's my list of me trusting in my flesh. Well, you know, I go to church every Sunday. Um, I make sure, uh, you know, that I greet at the door. Um, I make sure, you know, that I give a certain amount, and, you know, I read my Bible this many times a week, and, um, you know, and, and I, I, I teach Sunday school, and, you know, I don't cuss, I don't chew, and I don't hang with those that do, you know, all of these things. And everything that I just mentioned, you know, as a whole, those are good actions or behaviors. But if I'm placing my trust in those things, and I think that my standing with God is based upon my performance, I'm not going to enjoy an active and real relationship with the Lord because I'm actually frustrating grace. I'm looking to trust in myself and I'm not actually trusting in Jesus. And so that's the difference between a good work and a dead work. A dead work is where I try to establish my own standing with God through my behavior. And uh, that's a dead work. It's faithless. Um, it's a stench in the nostril of, nostrils of God. And uh, it is ultimately very selfish because I'm trying to prove my worth. And I'm like pushing aside the cross and saying, you know what? I'm an awesome Christian person. And so out of that type of boasting and that confidence in the flesh, uh, there will arise a tremendous amount of pride, and uh, there will there will really, ultimately, the love of God is not going to flow through somebody like that, uh, because their attention and their focus is going to be on how awesome they are, and uh, we've all experienced a level of this, I'm sure, in Christianity. It's, it's one of the worst aspects uh, of Christianity, in my opinion, is that self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude. It really turns people off from God. <clears throat> And it's not the way Jesus carried himself. In fact, Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry calling out people who operated in that, um, the Pharisees and Sadducees. But, you know, so we may not have the list of, of things we can trust in our flesh like Paul did, but we can have a different list, you know. I can, you know, maybe my list, you know, there's a time period in my life where, <clears throat> you know, I was in church, you know, probably five out of seven days a week. Um, I was an associate pastor. Um, I was a youth minister. I was in a traveling Christian band. Um, we, we regularly gave almost everything away. Uh, con we, were con we were giving to the point of poverty, and uh, we were praying all the time. <clears throat> and, you know, all of those things that I most, for the most part, most of those things that I mentioned were good, but it wasn't really motivated out of love. And it wasn't really motivated out of love for God. It was really more motivated out of, of me trying to establish my spirituality and my worth. 
And so I wasn't enjoying that easy light yoke of Jesus. I was under that heavy yoke of legalism, and um, it was <clears throat> burning me out, and it, it, it was bringing death into my life. And uh, it wasn't a good thing. It was a bad thing. But outwardly, it looked good. And, and all of these things, outwardly, they look good, but they don't create an environment of real relationship with God. Real relationship with God is based on faith in Jesus, not faith in ourselves, not based in faith in what we do. <clears throat> so then he goes on to say in verse 7, he says, What things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. So he's saying, you know what? I take all that stuff and I just throw it away as rubbish. And I don't trust in anything that I can do. I don't, he's saying, I don't trust in what Paul can do. And then he goes on to say, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. This is key. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And so <clears throat> we start getting an idea um, of, of where Paul is going. And I couldn't really stop and expound on any of these scriptures because I really just wanted to kind of read them in context. So let me, let me go back through again and let me pick it up in verse 8. He said, Yet indeed I count all these things lost. So, so basically what we, if we really want to get established in righteousness and, and enjoy this beautiful relationship that the Lord has with us, we have to get rid of the things that we trust in. You know, I can't trust in anything other than Jesus. Now, is going to church good? Yes, it is. Is reading your Bible good? Yes, it is. Um, is, 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 you know, giving and, and being a blessing, is that good? Yes, it is. Um, telling people about Jesus, is that good? Yes, it is. All these things are good, but none of these things justify you, and none of these things make God love you more. Okay? That's really important to understand, because if you don't have that as a solid reality inside of you, you'll end up like the elder brother, competing uh, for something and earning things that are free. You know, when we see the prodigal son and the elder brother, we see the, you know, the elder brother is actually farther away from the father than the younger brother was. Yes, the younger brother, you know, rebelled and, and walked away. Uh, but the elder brother, he was close, but he was, his heart was very, very far from the father. He didn't actually know him because he was caught up in working for him and not actually knowing him as a son. And so um, the enemy is always trying to bring about that sense of legalism, which imposes distance upon us. So we have to basically push everything aside and just trust in Jesus. Just recognize that Jesus is the one that has made us right with God. Now, God loved you before you were right with him. You know, when I was a drug addict, alcoholic, atheist, God loved me. He loved me with an everlasting love. And the outstretched hand of his salvation was present in his son, in his son Jesus. And when I named the name of Jesus, I became the righteousness of God apart from my deeds. Just like the thief on the cross, he didn't do any good deed in order to be made right with God. He simply believed and received it by faith. And so <clears throat> here he says, you know, indeed I count... Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And so, you know, and then, you know, once once Paul gets on the on the other side of faith, you know, we, we see that, you know, he doesn't he's not lazy, um, he's not unfruitful. Um, the Bible says he you know, he makes a statement, I labored 
more abundantly than they all. So Paul, we, we know that, that the grace of God and the righteousness of God didn't, didn't, make God didn't make Paul lazy. In fact, it empowered him. He says, I, you know, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, uh, but it was, it was Christ in me. It was the grace of God uh, that God gave me. And so Paul attributes all of his good works um, to, to God's grace and to God's empowerment. And so, but they are no longer dead works. They're now living works. Why? Because they're done out of a place of faith, out of a place of trusting in Jesus as his righteousness. He knows whether he preaches or doesn't preach, whether he witnesses or doesn't witness, whether he prays for people or doesn't pray for people, he's a son of God and he's loved. And so what he does do for God is out of a place of love for God and love for people. And so these are actually good works. These are good works that glorify God and not glorify Paul. See, a dead work glorifies the individual. You ever get around someone and they're like, well, I do this in missions and I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that. If it's bringing glory to them and attention to them and lifting them up, I question whether it's actually a good work or not. It's probably a dead work because it's not that work isn't filled with love. It's actually filled uh, with unbelief that the cross was a success and they're trying to establish their own righteousness, which frustrates grace, insults the work of the cross and glorifies them and not the Lord. And so what we want to do is we want to embrace Jesus as our righteousness, and then we want to have good works. We want it to be an outflow of love. We don't want it to be a performance. We don't want it to be um, a sense of earning. And so and so he goes on to say, and he says, um, you know, and I'll, I'll read it again. He said, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Now, when he's talking about my own righteousness, he's once again he's talking about his performance. He's talking about what he has done, good, in order to be made right with God or stay right with God. But that which is through faith in Christ. So simply believing in Jesus, and that's where he receives this gift of righteousness, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And so he's saying. You know, all my dead works, all the, the things that I trusted in in my own flesh, doesn't actually empower me to know the Lord. In fact, once again, it sets up a stage of performance where you're performing for Him and, and working for Him like the older brother, but not actually knowing Him. And so he, he makes the statement that, that I would be found in Him, uh, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of faith, that I may know Him. And so how does righteousness empower us to know God? Well, if I know that I'm right with God, apart from my behavior, apart from my actions, apart from my deeds, and I begin to know this and it gets established in my heart, um, I, I really, I start to get comfortable in His presence. I start to, to, to not carry around, you know, a sin consciousness and feeling like I'm unworthy and I'm not good enough. <clears throat> I become in a place where I feel comfortable you know, being around him and drawing near to him. You know, even when, when you begin to establish this, this righteousness consciousness on the inside of you and get your heart established in righteousness, you know, when you, when you make a mistake, you don't run from God, you actually run to God. And, and when you fail, you know that, that he's not going to leave you. And so what it causes you to do is it, it allows you to open up your heart and be vulnerable uh, with the Lord and, and allows you to, to just be comfortable in your own skin. And to where you can talk to the Lord and you can come to Him 
and and feel uh, and not feel ashamed and not feel unworthy and not feel you know not good enough. You know, it's even it's even like that. You know, in 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 our in our natural relationships. You know, I, I hope to create an environment with my son, you know, with my teenager, my 15 year old, where you know he can come to me no matter what. You know. He knows that I love him no matter what. And so out of that place, um, there is a, 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 a hopefully a place of vulnerability on the inside of him where we can have heart-to-heart relationship and to where when he messes up, the door is not closed on that because he knows I'm not going to condemn him or cast him out or reject him. I'm going to embrace him and love him. You know, you, you see that once again, you know, with the prodigal son and, and the father. You know, the prodigal son came home and felt unworthy. But the father, you know, just everything the father did was to assure him that, no, you're still my son. You're still my child. I still love you. I'm still with you. I'm still for you. And so in that type of environment, the heart opens up to where now the son can know the father and the father can know the son and there can be genuine relationship because there's not fear there. There's not fear of punishment. There's not fear of condemnation. There's not fear of being rejected. You know, we we see... We see the opposite of this in the Garden of Eden uh, with Adam and Eve. You know, we see them walking with the Lord in the cool of the day. We see them enjoying relationship with God. You know, the Bible says that, 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 you know, God created everything. But when he created Adam, the Bible says that he actually breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. And Adam opened his eyes. And the first thing he saw was the face of God. And, you know, God was a father to him. And they, they operated in relationship. But when, when he ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and condemnation came in and sin consciousness came in immediately uh, there became a facade immediately there there became uh, something that was not genuine immediately adam ran from the lord and hid from him and so the relationship uh, the guilt-free relationship that adam once enjoyed where he was excited about hearing god's voice that was gone and now he feared and was afraid of and was expecting punishment from the very one who created him and who loved him. And so <clears throat> when, when God came to spend time with Adam, uh, he was afraid. And he felt condemned and he felt guilty and he felt not worthy and he felt like he had to cover himself. And so a lot of Christians, that's how they feel, man. They feel unworthy. Uh, they feel naked. They feel afraid. They feel exposed. And so they don't actually enjoy uh, a, a relationship with God that's based in righteousness. But the more you understand you're the righteousness of God, you don't have to search around for these fig leaves, you know, to cover yourself any longer. You, you recognize that the robe of righteousness has covered you. And, uh, you know, your sins and lawless deeds, he will, he will remember no more. And, uh, you know, he that knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so now when you understand that you're the righteousness of God, you have a sense of covering. You have a sense of, of, of being comfortable in God's presence and not feeling like you have to run away and not feeling like you even have anything that you have to prove. And it's in that type of environment um, where relationship really begins to be fostered. Relationship begins to be developed. And that's why, you know, Paul here, he's talking about it. And he says that I may be found in him not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, that I may know him. And so there is a knowing of God that happens when you believe and understand that you're the righteousness of God. And, uh, uh, you know, and ultimately God wants it to just be, be just automatic to you. You know, a lot of us, we spent so much time in legalism that we've learned how to be condemned. We've learned how to live guilty. 
We've learned how to live unworthy. And God wants to wash all of that out of our minds. He wants us to have this freedom and this liberty and even this boldness um, to be a child of God and, and to know who we are in Him so that we can have relationship, you know. And you really, you see this modeled beautifully in Abraham, you know. And, you know, we see Abraham uh, hearing uh, the gospel 430 years before the law. Abraham's the first man that God, you know, imputes righteousness to by faith. And we can learn a lot about what God hopes, what type of relationship God hopes to have with us by taking a look at Abraham's relationship with God. 430 years before the law, Abraham had no concept of condemnation. He had no concept of guilt. And uh, God spoke a promise to him, and he believed it. And as a result of him believing it, the Bible says that it was imputed to him for righteousness. And so we look at Abraham, and Abraham actually, he models a life of what it looks like to be the friend of God, to know God um, in a place of righteousness. And so we see Abraham talking to God. You know, we see them conversing. We see them talking. Uh, we see Abraham, you know, having the, the, the boldness and even the audacity to, to talk God down. Uh, when, you know, when Sodom and Gomorrah is on the verge of, you know, receiving punishment as a result of their wickedness, Abraham's like, well, Lord, if, you know, if there be, if there be 10 righteous, you know, if there be this many righteous, Lord, would you do it? And we see God and Abraham conversing back and forth, talking to each other. And Abraham doesn't feel guilty. He doesn't feel unworthy. In fact, he has the boldness to ask God for things. And everything God asked him for, God uh, God granted. Everything Abraham asked God for, he granted him. And, you know, and so we see like this friendship. And we see God, <clears throat> even before Sodom and Gomorrah is judged, God's telling his angels, Hey, man, you know, I'm not going to do this until I tell Abraham first. Why? Because Abraham had, he had a nephew that was in, was in Sodom. And so it was important. It was important to Abraham. And if it was important to Abraham, it was important to God. So God told the angels, Hey, I got to talk to my friend Abraham before we do this. Now, that's, that's a very powerful, powerful picture of relationship. How did Abraham enjoy that type of relationship with God? How did he have that much boldness and that much confidence? Well, he was the righteousness of God and he knew it. And so we see this beautiful relationship. We see Abraham mess up and get into trouble. You know, he's fearful because his wife is so beautiful that he, um, you know, he, he's constantly, he wants to tell everybody that he's her brother. So he's, he's, he's basically lying to cover his own butt. And, you know, these, these kings just, you know, sweep up Sarah and, uh, you know, and are ready to take them into to their harem and ready to, you know, to marry her and all of these things. And so we see Abraham out of a place of cowardice and out of a place of, you know, really dishonesty mess things up. But we see God, who is his friend, rescue him over and over and over again. You know, and he makes them the same mistake, the same exact mistake more than once. But each time God rescues him. Why? Because he's a friend of God. God is, God is friends with him. God comes down and cuts a covenant with him, puts him to sleep, and, and cuts this amazing covenant with him. And it's, it's that covenant of Abraham that actually brought the children of Israel out of slavery when they left Egypt. And so what is it? It's God saying, look, I just want someone to believe uh, that they're right with me so that they can know me and I can know them and then we can have this powerful relationship. Now, I do want to say that it was imputed to Abraham. You know, It wasn't a real righteousness in the sense that his spirit was born again. That could not happen until after the cross. Jesus came and provided a righteousness, you know, that is a real righteousness that's actually by 
by being born again. It is a nature change. Abraham didn't have that. Scripture says it was imputed to him. I mean, it was actually set to his account. But God wanted to demonstrate through Abraham's life what it looks like for a man to be right with God and have a relationship with him. And so, you know, we see God rescue Abraham. We see God rescue Abraham's family. Uh, we see God talk to Abraham about things that he's going to do. Then we see God, it's now time for the promise to be performed uh, so that Sarah can, you know, have a child. And Abraham and Sarah can have a child. So the Lord comes down. He comes down and Abraham says, hey, why don't you come in um, with Abraham and, and, and spends time with him and, and tells him, hey, this time next year, you're going to have a child. Now, and Abraham laughs. Sarah laughs. I mean, they weren't perfect and flawless in their faith. But the Lord's like, no, 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 you're going to have a child. I'm going to be faithful to what I've promised you. And so what, what we're seeing here is like this amazing sense of relationship um, that's established on being right with God. And uh, Abraham enjoyed it. So now that that righteousness that was imputed to Abraham, it's not been imputed to you. It's actually given to you. You are, you've been given the same righteousness that Jesus enjoyed. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer and you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you're not a believer, you can get saved right now. Just call upon the name of the Lord. But that righteousness, it's the same righteousness that Jesus enjoyed. So the same righteousness that Jesus currently has seated on the right hand of the throne has been given to you as a gift. And so that should give us a sense of boldness to know God. You know, I can come to boldly to the throne of grace to attain help in time of need. I know that I'm right with God. I know that he hears my voice. I know that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear from him and I'm going to be led by him. And I know when I ask for wisdom, he's going to give it to me. And I know he's going to protect me and he's going to keep my family. And I know why. Is it because of something that I've done? Is it because of something that I've accomplished? Is it because I'm a minister? Is it because of this or that? No, none of those things. We count all of those, trusting in any of those things, we count them as done, we count them as rubbish. No, 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 we come to the Lord through Christ and Christ alone. We come through Jesus and Jesus alone. Why? Like Paul just said, that I would not be found in him having my own righteousness, which is through the law, but the righteousness, which is of faith, that I may know him. That I may know him. So if you're watching this right now and you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're right with God. You're right with God. What, is, what does being right with God mean? It means you are as you should be before the Lord. God's not looking at your failure. God's not looking at your sin. God's not looking at your shortcomings or your mistakes. God sees you in Christ and you are right with God. And so because you're right with God, enjoy relationship with the Lord. Don't allow the enemy uh, to disqualify you from ministry. So many times people will disqualify themselves from ministry because of mistakes that they made. You know, they may have argued with their spouse or gotten mad in traffic or, or whatever, and then, you know, they're in they're in Kroger or Walmart or a department store, and, you know, they, they feel like the Lord's unctioning them to pray for somebody. They see somebody that needs prayer, but they think, man, I've messed things up today. I'm not worthy to pray for someone. See, that's that's not true. That's a lie. Your worth and your worthiness and your righteousness is not, has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus. Jesus has made you righteous. And as you get established in that reality, you'll recognize that nothing can disqualify you from the Father's love. Nothing can disqualify you from the Father's blessing. Nothing can disqualify you because God has made you righteous. Now, I know if you look in uh, the pastoral epistles, there's certain... Um, criteria for someone to be a minister. There's certain things that they, you know, husband of one wife and, 
you know, not greedy uh, after filthy lucre, not being a greedy person and all of these things. And these are character issues uh, that, need, that you, you don't need these character flaws that are, that are, that are present in someone and someone who's going to be in a leadership or in ministry. But their standing with God is not on the table. Now, you have to understand that. Your standing with God is not on the table. Jesus Christ did an excellent job on the cross, and he's made you the righteousness of God so that you may know him and the power of his resurrection. So not only would you know him in an intimate way and in a confident way, but you would also know the power that he has. And so what does resurrection power does? Well, it makes it makes dead things come to life. You, know, you may have a dead situation. You may have a dead uh, a relationship. You may have a dead-end job. You may have dead finances. You may have, you know, death trying to work its way in your body or whatever. And resurrection life power hits dead things and causes them to come to life. And that is what the, that's what you have on the inside of you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead abides on the inside of you. So the more you understand that you're the righteousness of God and you get established in that, the more confident you're going to be in your relationship with God that you may know him. Because performing for him is not the same thing as knowing him. When you try to perform for him, it's difficult to have relationship. You know, one of the things I never want any of my children to do is to fall over into a place of trying to perform for my love or my acceptance. Now, as a father, you know, I've got to correct my kids when, when, when they're doing wrong. I mean, I've got to. That's a part of loving them. You know, when I, I got to, you know, got to set certain parameters. You know, you can't do that. You know, you're better than that. But what I got to make sure happens is that they don't all of a sudden feel like now they're not worthy to be my child or they're not in right standing with me or that my love is somehow forfeited from them. No, no, no. They always have my love. They're always my child, and they're always in right standing with me. I'm correcting their behavior because I love them, and I want them to have a good life. And so it's the same thing with God. And one of the things about getting established in righteousness will allow to happen in your life. It will allow you to become correctable. You know, one of the things that many of us have went through under legalism is we were bashed so much and put down so much that any form of correction makes us feel condemned and causes us to doubt our own worthiness. And, um, and so what ends up happening is, is when any time correction comes, we immediately get condemned. Well, what's happening is we're not really established in righteousness so that we can actually be fathered. You know, a part of fathering is protecting and loving, but also a part of it's correcting. And a part of knowing him is him bringing correction into your life. And really, the more you develop a taste for wisdom and the more you recognize, I don't want my way. I don't want my path. I want what the Lord gives and, uh, you know, a part of being a wise person is loving reproof. Because, man, if I'm going the wrong direction, if I'm doing it wrong, Lord, help me. I need your help, you know. But if I'm insecure in my standing with God and I'm not well established in righteousness, any form of correction actually ends up feeling like condemnation and I feel unloved. But Scripture declares that God corrects those that he loves. If he, he, if he loves you, he's going to correct you because he wants you to have a good path. And so a part of getting established in righteousness and knowing him is being in a position of him being able uh, to correct you, to give you wisdom. You know, if, if we are, you know, if I'm lost and I'm just going around and around and around and I'm never getting to my destination, it would be foolish for me to continue on that path. But if I if I'm lost and I need help then I'm going to ask for directions so that I can get some correction about the direction that I've currently been going. You know, if I'm just taking left turn after left turn and I'm just going around in a circle, I'm not getting where I want to go. I need someone to show me or tell me or help me. 
and and that that and God will do that for us. He'll father us. He'll love us. You know, a part of part of our relationship with Him is receiving correction. But if I'm not establishing righteousness, then what ends up happening is I can't handle correction from the Lord. I'm not really mature enough to handle it yet because I still am not confident that when he when he you know any form of correction and I feel like oh man he doesn't love me or he's angry at me or any of these things and so and that's why getting established in righteousness is a part of maturity in our lives the bible says that when we get skilled in righteousness we're not just you know drinking milk but we're also eating strong meat strong meat are those uh, who have exercised themselves and become skilled in righteousness and so that's why this message is so important you know and those of you that are watching you know most of you probably heard this a thousand times but it's not the memory of pizza that feeds you it is the action of feeding on pizza and feeding on the bread of life and so it's so important to get your heart established in it and it takes time especially when you've had tons of bad teaching and you spend a long time in legalism your default mode is condemnation and guilt we got to change that default mode in your mind we got to we got to renew your mind to this god is with you god is for you you're forgiven and you are loved you're the righteousness of god in christ jesus god's like you're my child come know me come know me come be with me you know that same boldness that abraham had you know that to, to know god to talk to god to even barter with god you know over the issue of sodom and gomorrah you know if if all of a sudden my you know my my 15 year old my teenager was like man dad i just i'm not, I'm not worthy I'm not worthy to be around you i'm not worthy you know to to hear anything that you have to say i'm not worthy to be in your house i'm not worthy you know to eat your food i'm not i'm not worthy you know, that is going to really, that's not going to please me as a father. Because I'm like, whoa, 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 you don't know who I am. Come here, come here. Let me remind you who I am. Let me remind you who you are. And, you know, you're my kid. And all I have is yours, you know. And and I feel like God is, is, is that way with us. He's like, look, 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 look. No, 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 no. I'm for you. And I'll always be for you. You know, no one can pluck you out of my hand. I, I've placed my son's righteousness on the inside of you. Be bold. Grow in confidence. You know, know that you belong with me. You belong in my house. You belong in my family. You know, that's God's word towards you. You belong. You belong in, you, you belong in my family. You know, uh, God's placed his son's righteousness on the inside of you. It can't, it's not going to be removed. You have a new identity. You've been born again. And so now, um, as we realize that, it gives us, you know, just a sense of boldness to have a real relationship with God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. God's with you. God's for you. You know, and so many times the enemy will try to cause adverse circumstances to make you feel like God's not for you. You know, well, if God was really for you, then why did this happen? God really loves you. Why did this happen? Listen, we live in a fallen world, and people have free choice. And as a result of free choice, there are bad things that happen on this planet, and there are bad things that happen as a result of the enemy being down here. Don't think every little tiny thing that happens is God, you know, coming against you or punishing you or condemning you. Now, that's really not a place of, of, of maturity. We have to grow up to the fact and really, you know, even when the disciples went to the other side, a big storm came. That storm didn't come from God. That storm was from the enemy. But, you know, Jesus didn't, wasn't in the boat quaking saying, oh, man, God's mad at us, guys. You know, this is messed up. What's going to happen to us? No, Jesus stood up because he knew he was right with God. He knew he was the Son of God, and he rebuked the storm. Why? Because he knew who he was. And that same righteousness that Jesus enjoyed has been given to you as a gift, been given to me as a gift. God wants us to get skilled at using it. 
that righteousness gives you a sense of authority when you pray. There's power in your words. There's power in your prayer. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's time for the, the children of God to put their shoulders back and walk as though they're right with God. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, okay? It doesn't change. You have a, you've been, you have a nature change that's happened, and now you're a child of God. And so God's like, hey, you need help? Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain, time, to obtain help in time of need. You know, when you come in, don't, don't keep your eyes downcast and all condemned. Lift your eyes up. Look me in the eye. I am your Father. I am your God. You are my Son, and you are worthy to be here. Know me. Know me. You know me, and I will know you. And out of a place of relationship, you know, we'll navigate this life together. And that righteousness that I gave you, it's, it, it, is a, it is where your authority comes from. It is where your faith comes from. You have a right to every promise that's in Scripture. Now, you don't make yourself worthy through what you do. No, no, no. He has made you worthy. And, you know, and a part of what God's going to do is he's going to take that nature of faithfulness that, that is only inside of you, and he's going to work it out of you so that now that faithfulness that he, he's been faithful to you, and he'll teach you to be faithful to him. He'll teach you to be faithful to those around you. He'll, he'll teach you how to do these things, but he's already placed it all inside of you, you know. He is the vine. We are the branches. The fruit comes forth as a result of his strength. And not our own. Our only part is to just simply stay connected. How do we stay connected? We just keep condemnation out. We stay skilled in righteousness. We understand who we are in Christ. We get bold in it. We get confident in it so that we can walk around, you know, in a place of communion and in a place of union with the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God says, my sheep hear my voice. God says, I will lead you. You know, the, the, you know, the Bible says that the, 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 the sons of God will be led by the Spirit of God. That word sons is the word weos. It means matured. The more you understand you're the righteousness of God and you operate on this wavelength of righteousness, no condemnation, which is the wavelength of heaven, the more it's going to be, it's going to make room for you to be led by the Spirit of God. You know, go help this person. Don't do this. Say yes here. Don't do, say no here. You know, God, he lives our life way better uh, through us and we could ever do it in our own strength and our own ability and so you know this is what he's talking about this whole time he's saying that i may know him and the power of his resurrection because the the absolute opposite takes takes effect and happens when we get involved in legalism because we don't know god we don't know him because we don't feel worthy and we spend all of our time trying to prove our worth you ever get around someone who's trying to impress you you know, they're trying to impress you with their spirituality or they're trying to impress you with their strength or they're trying to impress you with, you know, how much money they have or what kind of car they drive. It's exhausting to be around someone who's trying to impress you. Why? You can't have real fellowship with them because they're, too, they're not being themselves. They're actually being fake and they're trying to prove their worth. Uh, that's fleshly. That's carnal. Um, it's not the kingdom. People fall into it because they're insecure. We've all fallen into it. Um, but it, it's not, it's hard to have relationship with somebody like this. It's hard to have fellowship with somebody who's trying to act like something that they're not. And, you know, and, and we can understand that in the natural circumstances of people, how much more would God, you know, we just don't have anything that, to prove to him. No, he, he, he proved, he did it all, man. He did it all. He did the entire thing. He finished the work on the cross and now, uh, this gift of relationship comes signed, sealed, and delivered 
uh, through the blood of Jesus. And so, man, you just step into it, enjoy it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't establish your worth in it. You just enjoy this gift, and you live under amazing grace, and you really start to know the Lord, you know, out of a place of relationship. You do not have to perform for God. You do not have to perform for God. You don't have to perform for God. He accepts you and loves you just the way you are. Now, out of that place, love will flow to you and through you, and you'll be led by the Spirit to do good works. You'll be led to do good things. Spirit-led activity is good works. You know, when we step into uh, what Scripture's told us to do, those are, those are good works. They're good works. When they're filled with love and they're directing people to the Lord and not ourselves, you know. We don't want our life littered with dead works where we're trying to perform and earn our standing with God. We want we want that fruit uh, just to arise out of our hearts that, you know what, God's loved me, and because God's loved me, I'm going to love you. Because God's been good to me, I'm going to be good to you. And those are good works, and they actually glorify our Father which is in heaven because people see the fruit of His hand in our lives. And it's totally different than legalism. It's so difficult to know God in legalism because you just never feel worthy or you're fake because you're trying to perform. And God, He doesn't want that for you. He wants, he wants better than that for you. And He's like, look, be satisfied with my son. Be satisfied uh, with my son's finished work on the cross. Understand, you know, you're the righteousness of God, you know. And, and so now you can know me. Come to me. You know, let's have relationship. It's kind of like the opposite what happened to Adam and Eve, you know, we're not running from the Lord and hiding uh, as a result of feeling guilty because of sin and transgression. No, man, we're running to the Lord and we're not hiding. You got nothing to hide any longer, man. You just come to him just the way you are and wrap your arms around him. Come to him in a place of prayer. Come to him, you know, in, in a place of worship, you know, just or even just allow him just enjoy your life with him. You know, and enjoy a, a good football game. Enjoy a good meal with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Enjoy, you know, the beauty of fall and, and appreciate it because it's a gift from Him. You know, and and you know, and enjoy the the people that God has placed in your life, and enjoy your job as you do it as unto the Lord. You labor as unto the Lord. Let it. Let your job glorify Him. Let your work glorify Him. You know, when we do things out of a out of a place of relationship, man, there's value in it, man. There's there, there, there's a there's a zest for life. There's a zeal. There's a, a taste for things. Why? Because all things were created by him, and all things were created for him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. So what does that mean? Jesus is it, man. When Jesus is center place, everything is sweet. But but when he you know gets relegated to second place or third place or fourth place or or whatever, uh, life isn't as sweet, man. Life is sweeter when we live it as unto the Lord. And really the only way you can do that in spirit and in truth is when you know that you're right with God and you know you're the righteousness of God. Then you can live as unto the Lord. Even when you fail, you know, you fail unto the Lord and the Lord picks you back up. But, um, and so it's just a different way of living. And, it, and, it, and it, there's so much more to life because it keeps you in a place of gratitude. You know, when you're, when you're involved in legalism, you're trying to establish your own righteousness you either feel condemned or you feel entitled. Well, God has to do this for me because I did this and I did that and I did that. So God owes me. And no one probably say God owes me. Most people wouldn't say that, but they may think, but internally that's what they're thinking. They think, well, man, you know, I was so good and I did this and I did that. So, man, God owes me and my child to do, to do this for us or God owes this to us. And, man, that that's a very frustrated way 
um, to live because the reality is God really doesn't owe us anything, but he'll give us everything for free through Jesus. You know, we just have to, you know, receive it as, as a gift. And so we don't want to live condemned and we also don't want to live entitled. We just want to live thankful. We want to live grateful. Say, man, I'm, I'm the righteousness of God. Even when I fail, I'm the righteousness of God. Man, I have a, I have a right to just to know him, not in a place of performance, you know, but, but in a place of relationship. And, uh, man, that's, that's the sweetness, man. That's the sweetness of life and your relationship with him and also, you know, our relationship with each other. You know, when I, when I leave that performance-based relationship with God, then I can now not have performance-based relationship with the people around me. I can, you know, it's, it's so cool because you get legalism, you get that monkey wrench of legalism out of your relationship with God, and then now you can, you can value people for who they are and not what they do for you or, you know, or, or none of those things. You can just love people. And, uh, man, it's just it's so much better way to live. And so, uh, but this is what God has for us, and this is what he's talking about in this passage, you know. And I'll read it to you one more time before we close. He says, um, that I may be, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of, power of his resurrection. And so, um, that you may know him. How are we going to know him? Just understand that you're right with him, you know. Jesus did a great job. You're right with God, you know. So enjoy that. And don't allow the enemy to talk you out of it. Don't allow the enemy to confuse you out of it. Don't, don't allow well-meaning people that don't understand the gospel, that have one foot in the old covenant, one foot in the new covenant. Don't let them confuse you out of it. If, if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you're just as right with God as Jesus is because now you're in Christ. So don't allow guilt to drive you. Don't allow condemnation to drive you. Don't allow entitlement to drive you. Just be thankful and know him. Amen. Place of relationship. So in closing, I just want to pray for everybody. Father, I just thank you for the people watching this now and in the future that you would help us to understand that your son was enough, that he did a great job on a cross, and that as we receive him, Lord, we stay in that place of righteousness eternally. Lord, help us to enjoy you as a loving father without guilt, without condemnation, without um, fear or trepidation, Lord, but just to come boldly to the throne of grace to attain help in time of need, Lord. And I just thank you that you confirm that. And, uh, Lord, that you may establish it in our hearts, Lord, and help us to enjoy all that Jesus paid for. And, Lord, I just thank you for that. I just speak a blessing over everybody watching us. That you protect them, that you keep them. I declare that their bodies are healthy and strong, Lord God, that their finances are abundant, uh, that they hear your voice, that they're led by your spirit, Lord, that they are blessed. They are blessed to be a blessing. Love of God flowing to them. Love of God flowing through them into their communities, their families, the world they live in. I thank you. They shine like lights, Lord God. They are salt. They are light. They are peacemakers. I just declare a blessing over all of them. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Praise God. God bless you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I enjoyed sharing it, and um, I will talk to you later.